Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. This is Andrew Olson and I'm I'm thrilled to be here today with Christy Brennan, who is the Divisional Director of uh, Gift Planning for the Salvation Army Empire State Division. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's wonderful to be here. And I'm I'm so glad you're here. And, and Christy, you're, you're also a chartered advisor in philanthropy, which I, I want to get into a little bit later. But before I do that, um, take a minute to just tell us a little bit more about yourself and about the work that you do for the Salvation Army. Sure. So I've been with the Salvation Army for six and a half years now, and my gift planning team, there's three of us, and we work with donors and prospects across New York State, uh, not New York City. New York City and the surrounding boroughs are taken care of by the Greater New York Division. Uh, So I work with donors and prospects across the division on their charitable estate planning. And some of it is as easy as, hey, I really like the work that you're doing, and I'd like to include you in my estate plans and my will, to, you know, more complicated gaps where people are looking to be charitable, but wondering how they're going to leave their legacy. And what I love about the work I do is that every single conversation I have with a donor is different. It's it's like a puzzle. We're trying to figure out how their philanthropic goals match up with what they want to do with their family. Hmm. That sounds really interesting, actually. I'm curious. So um, the certification that you have, the Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy, what is that? So that is a designation that I received through the American College of Financial Services, and it was a wonderful program. It took me about a year to go through. There are three different classes, and they're in-depth about different topics. And what you come out with is really the, the knowledge and the ability to have deeper conversations with Joe about their philanthropic goals. So before I went in, you know, I had been doing gift planning prior coming to the Salvation Army. And I knew I knew to, you know, talk to donors about major gifts and what they wanted to support. But I really didn't know how to have those deeper conversations. So it really brings about the expertise on one side of the plan giving options that we have to offer the donors and matching that up with Let's really find out what the donor wants to do with their philanthropic intent and matching those two up together to create something that's that's pretty wonderful. That's great. So how did you land on gift planning versus any other kind of fundraising as, as where you wanted to invest your career? Because it's the best place to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, actually, so it was interesting. I I, I, I think I speak for nearly every fundraiser out there. I never intended to be in nonprofit fundraising, but I am so delighted that this is where my path led me. I was working for a city club 
uh, you know, many, many years ago. And a city club is like a country club, except it's based in the city. And I was um, marketing and membership manager. So I was helping wealthy people join this club. Hmm. And I did that for about six years. But I realized that there was just something missing. I was not being fulfilled in a particular way, but I didn't know what that was because I didn't know that this nonprofit world existed. So an opportunity came up and I took it and I moved over. And I think my first nonprofit was my local Girl Scouts Council, um, which is now merged with other councils. Uh, and I was the director of development for that. So kind of the, the arc that most people go through, you know, I worked with annual fund and I worked events and then major gifts. And that was kind of great. The transformational pieces that you got to do. And then I moved into gift planning and it was at the um, nonprofit that I was working for prior to coming to the Salvation Army. I, I had this wonderful opportunity. I was working with a gift planning consultant. And so I was at the table for this gift that I didn't even know was possible. So this donor had been giving probably, you know, a few thousand dollars a year uh, to the annual fund. And that was wonderful. And then this nonprofit was doing a building campaign and he stepped in to do the lead naming for the building campaign, which was wonderful. The gift planning consultant came in and said, you know, we really need to sit down with this donor and talk about his charitable plans. What does he want to do? And I thought, I, I've never had that conversation before. You know, no, typically it's this program needs funding. Will you support it? And all of that. So we sat down with the donor. And the, the nice thing about gift planning is that you really get to know your donors because you're talking about family, you're talking about finances. So these are conversations that can typically go on for quite some time. You can be brought into the table to the attorneys, to the financial advisors. So what he ended up doing was making a multi-million dollar charitable lead trust to support not only the organization I was working for, but four other organizations in that community. Wow. So there were five of us all together. And as people probably know, a charitable lead trust, the money is given upfront. It's a percentage of what the total amount of the trust is. And then the trust, this particular trust for 20 years, and then it was gonna to go to his grandchildren. And that's when I sat back and said, oh, this is an area that I really want to play around in because, right, he was supporting his favorite charities in the area, but he was also planning for the future of his family. So when you combine those two together and you're looking at the holistic approach of the donor, there's no more donor-centric conversation, mm -hmm. I feel like, you have when you're talking about charitable intent and taking care of your family. So that's where I landed. The opportunity came at the Salvation Army to make this the only focus of my career. And I jumped at the chance. That's pretty awesome. So I, <clears throat> as I talk to, to fundraisers and, and boards and executive directors, one of the things I often hear about gift planning is, is sort of this hesitancy of, you know, I'm, I'm not really comfortable talking to people about like their mortality and, and, you know, I, I don't want to just talk to them about what's going to happen when they die. Is that a misconception or, or is that also just a lot of what you talk about when you're, when you're having gift planning conversations? 
So there are definitely donors who are hesitant to talk about their estate plans uh, for a number of reasons. And I respect that. Not everybody is ready to have that conversation. Then there are other donors who absolutely want to engage in this conversation because they understand that through a charitable gift plan, you can not only leave a legacy, and for some people that's really important, some people prefer to remain anonymous, but this charitable giving that they've been doing for most of their lives, they can now talk about what that legacy is going to look at, as well as reduce taxes and leave more money for their heirs. So when you have that whole package, it becomes not just, oh, I'm going to die. What should I do with all my money? But how can I take care of my favorite charities and how can I take care of my heirs? So it becomes less about the death conversation and more about their impact as life goes on. There's a poet, her name is Mary Oliver. And uh, one of her quotes is, I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. <laughs> and for a lot of the donors that I speak to, they, they're they leaving their mark as yeah. they exit this world. So I like that a lot. Um, are, are there are there certain phrases or, or key statements that you hear donors make where, where you go, ah, this donor is ready for that conversation? <clears throat> well, it, it, not really, only because the donors that I'm talking to, they've, they've responded some type of marketing lead. So okay. I know okay. that they're ready to have the conversation. They may not be ready to have the conversation in the way that they think, because so many people, like myself, before I got really involved, they think it's just about, oh, what kind of gift can I leave you in my will? So a lot of donors may have the conversation of, you know, I don't have anything that I can leave for a charity. So, you know, I'm going to make a gift of $1,000 or you know $10,000, whatever feels comfortable for them. But when we start talking about the assets that they have and what they want to do both for their heirs and what could be possible for the Salvation Army or their favorite charity. That's when the conversation starts really taking a turn. That makes good sense. So I'm, I'm curious, what's the kind of most surprising uh, conversation you've ever had with a donor about their, their legacy planning? And, and what, did, what did you take away from that? So I've got two, and okay. they're very, very different. Um, the first one is with a donor who he's amassed a lot of wealth in a short period of time to his surprise. And I can't say to his delight because this feels like a very large responsibility for him to his family and to what he wants to do in his charitable intent, because he's definitely charitable inclined. You know, he supported the Salvation Army for probably 20 years now with major gifts, right? So we started the conversation right from the beginning. And this was just something that I so enjoy because he came in and he said, Christy, I don't know anything about charitable estate planning. So we started from the very beginning. And what I found through the conversation, and this has been echoed in conversations since then, when I'm speaking with high net worth individuals, is that he doesn't want to leave everything to his children because he wants to make sure his children understand the value of work. 
They don't want to create a scenario where, you know, age 35, the children no longer have to work again. So then, okay, great. What is okay? What are your hopes for your children? And then let's bring the grandchildren into the conversation. So I think that with the first time I had that conversation with the donor, it was illuminating and surprising that no, not necessarily everything is going to go to the children because I've had a lot of conversations with donors who maybe aren't as high net worth where that is a big concern for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to make sure the children are are taken care of. So um yeah, that donor, um, we're still in the midst of the gift. Um, and he's being very thoughtful and very considerate about how he's going to leave that money for his children. And it's going to be a tiered approach. You know, this much money will go to them when they turn this age. And Mm -hmm. then this much money will go to them at this age. And it goes tiered every four years. It's going to be a bump up. And this is all through a charitable estate gift planning option. So when the children pass away, the monies left over will go to support the Salvation Army of uh, his choice, which is just fantastic. And then on the other side of that is uh, there is a donor. She's an elderly woman. She gives $1 a month to the Salvation Army. She has been $1 a month. Yeah. She's been doing this for many, many years. Okay. And she received one of our marketing mailings and she called me up and she said, Christy, I'd really like to have a discussion about leaving something to the Salvation Army in my will. And I said, wonderful. And I made an appointment and I went out to her home and, and she's a very frugal woman. She doesn't come from much. She doesn't have a lot, but the Salvation Army is in her heart. <laughs> and when all was said and done, the gift that she's leaving the Salvation Army is $25. Wow. I huh. I am I continue to be so touched that somebody who doesn't have a lot to give was thinking enough about her charitable intent hmm. and what she wanted to leave behind, knowing that it wasn't going to be a lot, but every single dollar makes a difference. Yeah, the true market yeah. generosity, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So that actually leads into my next question is, yeah. you know, knowing that the army is such a large and matrixed organization and, and there's, you know, there's the, the national headquarters, there's the territorial headquarters, there's the division that you're a part of. Um, and then you get even more granular than that into like area commands. How, how does your work, um, integrate or does it not with with all the various layers of the Salvation Army and how how do you all like decide on the guardrails of who's talking to which donors and and who's presenting which offers to donors and and not like step on each other's toes sure yeah so they've done a really nice job it's division by division so everybody in a particular zip code is my division now where they want to give could certainly be different. So if a donor wants to give to a specific area, say their hometown, we have wording so that 100% of their donation is going to go support programming and clients in the area they live in. But I also have conversations with donors who want a broader area. So maybe they wanted to go across the Empire State Division to touch as many individuals as possible, and we can help them with that. I've also had donors that want to support just emergency services 
on a mm-hmm. national level. Okay. So they want to make sure that their monies are going to hurricane relief, uh, whatever it may be. We had um, a few years ago when Puerto Rico was hit really hard. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people said, this is where I want to support. I worked with a donor recently who is very interested in the work we're doing internationally. Hmm. So I've been working with her to kind of create a plan, how that looks for her. But again, she's in my division. So that's yep. how we make that designation. Um, and so I'll help connect. I'll be the point person and I'll help connect them to the correct people to make sure that their intentions are put in writing in the way that it should be so that it supports whatever philanthropic plan they have. Got it. Okay. That makes good sense. <clears throat> you know, one of the things uh, in the conversations I'm having right now uh, with, with other nonprofit leaders is, is around um, the economy and, and the impact that that's having on philanthropy, right? Whether it's whether it's um, an organization that's concerned about their direct marketing and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, the cost of paper and postage are going up so high right now that how do we offset that with, with, you know, shrinking revenue or, or, you know, I mean, if we just look at the stock market and what's, you know, the, the fluidity that's happened in the last couple of months, you know, there's, there's now a conversation of, well, wait a minute, we thought that high net worth individuals were going to take up, the slack on what might've been an offsetting decrease from lower level givers. Um, But now maybe that's not going to be the case because of what's going on with the stock market. You know, what are you hearing from donors themselves? What are they feeling? What, what are those conversations sound like right now? Yeah. So I want to back it up in just a couple of years because I thought it took a really interesting change when COVID hit. And this is, you know, March 2020, when people really had no idea what this virus was going to do. And there was a lot of misinformation out there only because people truly didn't know. I had donors calling me. And in particular, I have to say it was older women who were calling me saying they wanted to put together what they called their war will. So don't know what's going to happen. Don't know how quickly something might happen. They wanted to get something down on paper really quickly. And of course, these were donors that I had been working with. So their charitable intent was for the Salvation Army. But it was such an interesting turn. And I had never heard the term war will prior to two years ago. So there was a really big run on that, um, which I thought was I thought it was interesting and I thought it was, it was terribly sad and, and a sign of the times of what we were going through. Yeah. And, and are you seeing, are you, are you hearing anything different today? Yeah. So as you mentioned, the stock market, I just had a donor call me. I was on the road yesterday coming back from a donor meeting and another donor called in and he said, you know, um, I had sent him some information about, uh, we have something called a stretch IRA protection trust. So, um, you know, prior to the secure act of 2019, if you had an IRA and you wanted to leave it to your children, they could 
take as long as they wanted to, to go through the rest of your IRA. And then the Secure Act of 2019 came along and they said, hey, hold on, we're going to make it 10 years that your children have to spend down your IRA, which for some families is not a big deal. It's certainly appreciated. For some other families, that additional income is going to push the children up into a different tax bracket. Mm, and that's okay. not something that anybody wants to have happen. So with the Stretch IRA Protection Trust, you can for the life of your child, depending on how old they are, stretch that out so that you don't have to pay it out in 10 years, right? Okay. So um, this donor who I had sent, uh, we call it a SIP trust, I had sent the SIP trust information for, for his niece. He said, Christy, I am so sorry. I, I wanted to get back to you. The stock market is really hitting my retirement account hard. I know it's going to come back. And I want to have this conversation when the stock market comes mm. back, but I can't have it right now. He's also a donor that gives an, a very nice outright monthly gift to his local core. And I asked, I said, you know, is, is this something that you feel like you can continue? Or would you like to put that on hold until everything sorts it out? And he said, no, absolutely. I want to go ahead with that monthly commitment. I just want to wait and see what happens with my retirement account. So that is definitely something that people are thinking about. Um, on the flip side of that, there are folks that have their IRA, their retirement account, and they say, it doesn't matter. Um, it's going to be worth something. And so I do want to move forward with that SIP trust conversation. So talk to us a little bit about what that conversation sounds like internally in your office when you have to go to, you know, the board or, or you know, your, your leadership and inform them that, hey, this isn't going to happen on the timeline we expected because of what's going on in the economy. I mean, obviously, organizations still have plans and they still yep. have revenue objectives and, and, and spending needs. How do you navigate that? And, and what, what, what are the challenges that, that people like you face in, in those times? Yeah, I think that I'm really fortunate and that the leadership uh, for the division I work for really understands gift planning and understands that there's not a timeline and there mm. can't be an expectation um, because these donor conversations can take so long. So when I go back to leadership and I'll say, you know, these are the conversations I'm having, they understand there's we're, we're donor centric. It's all about the donor. We're not going to push anything along. We're not going to try to force anything along because it'll come. It'll come. We're doing really good work. We have really great donors um, and we just have to go on their timeline where their comfort level is. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you were in marketing, you know that a donor has to see something seven times before they they say, OK, I, I'm interested. I'm in. And that's the same with gift planning. You know, I prior to the Salvation Army, I had a donor that had held on to a newsletter for five years, they had received all types of marketing, you know, after that, but they came to me with this, have you put this nonprofit in your will little ad we had in the newsletter. And it's just whenever the donor is ready to have that conversation, we're there to have it with them. No, that, that makes total sense. You know, I remember when I was, when I was raising money uh, for a children's hospital, we received, mm -hmm. um, we received a, an estate gift out of the blue, right? 
not only did we not recognize the name when we went and searched our, our database, she wasn't in there. Right. right. She'd never given us a gift. So we were talking to the lawyer and he said, you know, we said, how did she pick us? Like, was there, was there an intent behind it that we should be aware of? And, right. and he said, no, uh, <laughs> she, she knew that she wanted to give and she wanted to, you know, um, to spread her giving around to important uh, work in the community, but she didn't really know anything about nonprofits. So she asked me, he said, I, I pulled out a bunch of junk mail out of my desk and, oh my and spread it on the desk. And she picked three or four and yours just happened to be one of them. And, and so I, I thought to myself, wow, like what an amazing, I think it was, it was close to a quarter million dollar estate gift, you know? And, and so it was a, a, an amazing windfall for the, the organization, but, but one of those happenstance gifts where you just have to sit back yes. and, and realize you're not in control of any of this. You know, no, and that marketing really does work. And that's another really important component of the marketing work we do. And the stewardship we do is with what we call the ally professionals. So these are the estate attorneys, the financial planners, because yes, they're on the front lines having those conversations with the donors when they're drawing up documents. So mm-hmm. a lot of people may have a charitable intent and like you just pointed out have no idea what charity they want it to go to and so if that estate attorney in that particular community is knowledgeable about the work that your nonprofit is doing of course they're going to be more likely to talk about it and then with along with that there are and there's been so many studies about this i think russell james has, has mentioned this many times but there is something like 92% of donors are not asked if they have a charitable intent. And mm. when that question is asked, it goes up immensely that they're mm. going to be leaving a charitable. Interesting. Gift. So, yeah, it's yeah. just having the conversation and and asking about it. You know, you talked about it earlier um, is the conversation about mortality. And it's it's reminding people that they have control about where their legacy, where they're going to be remembered and to to reach out to the nonprofits that they're supporting so that they can have those conversations. Yeah, that's great. So I hadn't even thought about the, the did you call them allied partners? Uh, we call them allied professionals. professionals yeah, I think yes. everybody calls them something different. What percentage of your time do you spend building those relationships versus with with the actual donor like how how much of an investment is that for you and your organization yeah great question so i would say um we've definitely been uh reaching out to them more recently um because we're finding that there are estate attorneys in all of the towns and cities that we work in that have probably worked with a donor that has included Hmm. the Salvation Army in their will. Um, Salvation Army can also serve as trustee on a charitable remainder trust, charitable lead trust. Um, So uh, that's a nice conversation that we can have with them as well. Uh, So yeah, percentage wise, overall, I would say it's probably as high as 20% of our time right now. That's pretty good. Um, Yeah. You know, it's an interesting one. I, I don't hear a lot of organizations talk about investing time with with uh, folks who do that work. So I think that's a, a good learning for a lot of people. 
Um, you know, we're, we're just about out of time for our conversation. I do. I, I want to get one more question in though. I would love to know, you know, in, in the work that you've done with the Salvation Army, what's the most sort of inspirational donor engagement story you can recall? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So I think it goes back to this donor that I spoke about earlier, who was really being thoughtful and careful about the gift that he was going to be leaving for his sons. So we walked through that and we talked about what kind of wealth he wanted to leave behind for them. But then the conversation turned to his grandchildren. And that's a part of the conversation that I don't think comes up every single time in the donor conversations, but it's really an integral piece because I think I think a lot of donors presume that their wealth can take care of the next generation, but I'm not thinking about the generation after mm. that. So we started engaging in a really thoughtful discussion about his grandchildren and what he hoped to leave for them. And you could just see the glitter in his eye when he realized that he could also help his grandchildren. Mm. And we brought in the conversation to perhaps you'd like to do a naming of a program in honor of your grandchildren. And that felt really meaningful for him because up until that point, it was completely anonymous. I don't want my name involved in any of this. I'm always been a behind the scenes giver. I'm not in it to, to lift up any ego. But when we talked about his grandchildren, the whole demeanor changed. The tone of the conversation changed. So we're still working on that piece. We know that there's going to be something for the grandchildren and, and we've got a couple of plans in place, but now what kind of impact that legacy? So when the grandchildren pass away, right, what kind of legacy are they leaving through what their grandfather initiated? And that's really powerful. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Well, Christy, this has been a fascinating conversation about uh, legacy gift planning. I, I just appreciate you joining us and appreciate your insights. If uh, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for people to reach you? I would say they could reach out to me. Uh, email would be the best way. And that's Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I dot Brennan, B as in boy, R-E-N-N-A-N at U-S-E dot salvationarmy.org. Wonderful. And I would welcome any questions. I love talking about gift planning. So yeah, hit me up. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Andrew. This has been wonderful. Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.